die, monster. You don't belong in this world. It was not by my hand that I'm once again given flesh. I was called here by humans who wish to pay me tribute. Tribute? You steal men's souls and make them your slaves. Perhaps the same could be said of all religions. Your words are as empty as your soul. Mankind ill needs a savior such as you. What is a man? A miserable little pile of secrets. But enough talk. How about you? <laughs> It's the first 2018 episode of Retrovania. And welcome to the first 2018 Halloween episode of Retrovaniacs. As always, I'm Jeremy Parmentier here with Jeremy Gregory. Hey, guys. And Billy Holiday. Hey there. And uh, this week we're going to dive back into the Castlevania series. Uh, in uh, 2016 for Halloween, we covered the 16-bit Castlevanias. Uh, we're going to focus on just one Castlevania, the Symphony of the Night, in honor of the new re-release Sony's putting out uh, by the uh -huh. end of the month with both Rondo of Blood and Symphony of the Night. So we thought it would be uh, worth checking out to see, does it hold up as well as we think it does? Uh, spoilers, it probably does. But until we talk about that game, Billy, what have you been playing since our last show? What have I been playing? Well... It's caught everybody by surprise when I tell them I'm playing this for the first time. I am playing Super Mario Odyssey on the Switch, and, which has been out for a while. It's, it's you know, uh, but I don't know. I don't know why I'm just now getting around to it. I, I first got my Switch, of course, I picked Zelda up with it, played that at length. Uh, then I'm just eternally hooked on Mario Kart. I'm, I'm playing that at any given point in time. And, and there's been so many, you know, good independent games kind of scattered about on the Switch. There's always been something on there uh, to kind of occupy my time. Uh, and it wasn't until uh, recently I was I was at the store and uh, Mario Odyssey and several Nintendo games were on sale. And you'd never see that. Uh, like the first party games will carry that $60 price tag years down the road so i said all right uh, i'll pick it up and you know I'm, I'm playing a lot more of the switch lately since i'm i'm out of town so often and, oh that game is so good so it, it completely justifies when you buy a nintendo console and, and people give you a hard time and tell you you know there's just gonna be a few good games and then all their first party stuff so fucking what the the first party games are always worth buying whatever the current Nintendo system is. Uh, they're perfect. I, I think it shows what Nintendo can do when they really focus and put time and effort into things. Between Breath of the Wild, which probably the best Zelda game since, you know, Ocarina of Time, and this Mario Odyssey, which, like Jeremy Gregor and I were talking about right before the show, is probably the best since Mario 64. Uh, so I been playing a lot of that played a good portion of the the game we're reviewing today uh and you know for the halloween season i've kind of attached myself and i think uh i think at least one one of one of you guys have also i've attached myself to that hollow knight 
and I'm kind of playing through that here in the month of October, and it is just a fantastic game. Uh, a lot of inspiration from the uh, the game we're reviewing today, in fact, goes into that. And uh, yeah, I mean that's that's what I've been doing. I've been hitting the switch pretty hard this this past couple weeks. Yeah, Hollow Knight is great. I've been playing it a lot since mm-hmm. our last episode, uh, and you know I said we would we kind of follow up with it. Yes, it's wonderful. Uh, it mm-hmm. is a very much like the game we're going to talk about uh, for the rest of the episode. Uh, it's also way harder than, than yes. the game we're going to talk about for the rest of the episode. I am not extremely far. I guess the map's broken out into areas, and I'm only on the third area of what I can see that's mapped out. Uh, not not because I'm stuck. I just haven't had as much time as I'd like to play mm-hmm. it for long bursts. It's got a lot of... Um, much like Dark Souls, when you die, you have to go back and get your... You don't have to, but you, you want to go back and get your your you know energy points or whatever it is you use to spend mm-hmm. on things so there's a lot of times where i'll go out and explore and then die and then have to go back out there and find my way to get to a safer spot uh to a safe zone or, or whatever it takes to you know to, to get past where i'm stuck i i do enjoy it i've also been playing a whole lot of Mega Man 11 uh which is wonderful uh i i see a lot of people complaining about it saying that the levels are too long or you know i heard someone say the level design is bad i can't I can't stand behind that. I think it it feels just like the older Mega Man. It's definitely longer levels, but they have more checkpoints. The original Mega Man levels either had one checkpoint. uh, I think some of the later ones had two. These all have two or three checkpoints in each Mm -hmm. level. Uh, I think the bosses, while they look really cool, once you figure out what weapon hurts the next person, they're all fairly easy. And the game gives you a whole bunch of purchasable upgrades some of them are are permanent like an upgrade that makes it so you don't get knocked back as far uh when you shoot your your charge beam and then there are other Mm. ones that are one use only but they're fairly cheap to buy and you can only hold x you know two or three of them at a time uh one Mm -hmm. of them is boots that let you fall on spikes and not instantly die yes you'll you'll flash and you're invulnerable as if you were hit by whatever for a few seconds and then you have to get out of the spikes but then you've lost that boot item and you can only hold three at a time so for the rest of that level, you only have two more times you can fall into spikes before you die instantly when you fall into spikes and then have to start over again. And you won't get those boots back until you go back and buy them from the doctor in between stages. So it, it definitely gives you some some things that make levels not nearly as hard as the earlier Mega Mans. Definitely easier than 9 and 10 were. 9 and 10 were, mm-hmm. uh, I mean, I liked them, but they were definitely unapologetically hard. It was like, oh, you like Mega Man? Well, here's a lot like Mega Man 1 over and over and over again. Very good, though. I, I can't imagine not liking it. Also, I'm playing a lot of, of Darius Burst CS on the Vita. That's a 2D shooter. Uh, so basically, I'm playing all the games I would have played when I was 11, but they're new <laughs> versions, and I'm playing them now. Uh, and then for Halloween, I did say I'd start Deadly Premonition. I definitely have. I love that game. Oh, uh, I'm yes. not going to talk about it anymore this year, other than saying I've played it a bunch, because I think I talked about it every other Halloween uh, and it is excellent. Uh, but Jeremy, we're going to we're going to figure out some way to break the time rule severely to to review that one one day. Well, I think you know what we've talked about, kind of throwing up some bonus shows now and then. Maybe that's a good one to do. Uh, so maybe we will have to to look at doing Deadly Premonition in some form in the future. But it won't be this year. Uh, mm-hmm. And Jeremy, what have you been playing since our last show? Uh, well, I kind of started out with Hollow Knight myself. I really wanted to kind of get into that since it was very close to what we're going to be doing for this podcast. Mm-hmm. But then Forza Horizon came out and I, I know you guys really don't play racing games. I am sure probably most of the audience for this, for this podcast doesn't play racing games, but every two years or so Forza Horizon comes out 
and it's just one of those games that it it just hooks me instantly, mm-hmm. and and I have to sit there and play it for probably a week straight, and and just get everything, do all the events. It, it's just one of those games for me. It's probably one of the only racing games out there that still just it, it gets me. It makes there, me want to play it every day. Uh, but there's got to be something to this because I know uh, several people that are not racing fans and and they're playing this and and really enjoying it i'm gonna give it a shot uh, i've got the xbox back at home when i get there i'm gonna i'm gonna try it out uh but i don't know this one seems to have some kind of la- appeal to it even to you know non-hardcore racing fans well i've been i've been playing forza horizon since the the, the first one came out on the 360 and mm-hmm. the first one was kind of the high watermark uh two and three were were really good I mean, mm-hmm. they they definitely improved over the original, but there was something about that original that I just absolutely loved and, and never thought the Forza series had topped that yet. Mm. And this new one, it has just it has taken everything from all three of those games mm-hmm. and basically combined them into just this one giant open world online racing game. It's about as close as you can get to a racing game MMO as you can get. Mm-hmm. Uh, it, it, you can play solo by yourself. You don't. It's not required to play with other people, but just the way they do it. And just putting you in this world with, you know, a, a certain amount of other people, it feels alive. And the the thing that they're doing with this one is that every week the season changes. So it goes from summer to oh. autumn to winter to spring. So every week and these seasons make the game feel completely different, especially mm-hmm. winter, which is what this week is. It just makes it feel like a completely different game. So, you, you know, you definitely get all of these things that are in Forza that it does really well, but then you get these the season aspect of it that changes mm-hmm. the game every week. And it, it makes you want to kind of come back to it, especially because they have seasonal events that only happen during each season. Hmm. So it's, it's, I mean, it's, it's definitely kind of like your weeklies and your dailies or something from an MMO, but it's in a racing game. And uh, it, uh, it's just, it's so, so good. The, it, the quality in that game is just up, off the charts. So, I mean, that's really what I've been playing, like, literally just about every day when I sit down. I turn on Forza 4 and go around, smash some boards, race some races, do some seasonal stuff. It's just, I love it. I, you know, I, I, it's worth it if you love racing games at all. If mm-hmm. you love arcade, this isn't like a sim racing game. So if you like more arcade style racing games, this is definitely something you should check out. Well, nothing says Halloween like Forza, but we're going to try our best. We cover (laughs) Castlevania Symphony of the Night for the Sony PlayStation. Now, this is a, a game I have 
basically said since it came out is one of my top five favorite games of all time. If I only had to to keep five games, sell everything else I own, I would own a copy of Symphony of the Night. So I already knew going into this that I probably was not going to speak very poorly of this game. I believe both of you have definitely played this before, correct? I am familiar with this one. I had rented this one. Uh, this is one probably one of the last games I rented. Um, and yeah, never owned this one, but played through it many a time. Never to you know all the way through. Uh, but yeah, I mean, I've always been a big fan of the Castlevania series, and most people that are kind of kind of herald this one as being the the best. Uh, personally. I was always a Super Castlevania fan. That fourth one on the Super Nintendo, that was always the, the high mark for me. Uh, so I was interested to, to go into this one and really sit down, play it all the way through, and, and then kind of form an opinion. So you hadn't yeah. finished it before? No. Okay. I, had, um, I had, had not finished this one before. I you know, had rented it. I got it back when it came out uh, on the 360. And... and same thing. I mean, I played it through for a while, and it's one of those that I didn't stop playing because of anything negative to have to do with it. It's one of those that you just start playing other things, and next thing you know, it's uh, five or six five or six years later, and you've got a podcast, and it's time to play it again. I, I'm, I've spoken about this game multiple times on this podcast. It's it's definitely I'm, I'm like you. It's in my top five all time favorite games. Uh, if anyone listened to the previous podcast, I mentioned that I went to a, a, an import store back in the day called Game World here in Indianapolis, and the asshole that ran that place uh, swindled me several times. But this was one of those games that I I really wanted as an import. But much like Shinmu, when I bought this game as an import, it was completely in Japanese. And if you have ever played this game you know how how much you you kind of need to know as, as far as text goes. There, this isn't just like playing an old Castlevania game where there's there's you can pretty much play it and understand everything that's happening without knowing the text. But this is a very text heavy game as far as items and things like that. So I spent the longest time not knowing what any of this <laughs> game was, even though I played the hell out of it. You know, I I'll kind of talk later is like one of the most amazing uh, discoveries I ever made for a video game was with symphony of the night. But uh, later on when the, the U S version came out, I finally, I, I grabbed that one from a local Walmart, got out to the car, opened it up and a fucking Sesame street game was in there. So <laughs> I, I just, this was something that it, 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 it took me years before I could finally get, I, I actually sat down and played the U S version of symphony of the night. And I don't think I actually played uh, it entirely through until, I mean, I, I had before, but just kind of like in bits and pieces and, and not understanding what I was doing because I had mm-hmm. the Japanese version. But the first time I actually sat down and, and played the U.S. version completely through and, and all that was with the 360 version, the arcade version, um, which was just, it's a totally fine port of that game. But yeah, they, <laughs> Uh, even though I, I've had all this these problems with this game, I, I still it's it's one of my favorites. And if I'm ever able to go back in time, I'm going to find you, and I'm going to tell you to stay away from that import store. It was it was just oh god! I mean, all of those games that you could play months, sometimes years before they well, came. You can play over. all the games you want. You just you can't understand. I know you couldn't on. understand. I mean, some of them you definitely could, and that's why this you know I left it up to him to kind of tell mm-hmm. me. If I could, 
understand the game that I was buying. Mm. And he wasn't truthful with me <laughs> sometimes. <laughs> Besides charging a, a $40 premium for some of these games, the import games, uh, I, I, I was left in the dark, uh, especially with Castlevania, because every text, all that entire game in Japanese could not fucking understand anything. It sounds like that shop owner is probably your version of the bike store owner that Arnold and Dudley go to in different strokes, but not quite as bad. <laughs> oh, boy. So when I was working at Electronics Boutique, I know I bring this up all the time, but I did spend five years of the best video game you know, timeline for me uh, working at a game store. The PlayStation was you know, huge, but it was still everything was still 3D. I mean, there were a few 2D games, but they were very rare, and they weren't necessarily you know for the most part very well made so when this came out it did not have a lot of push at all i think we got two or three copies of it it was not something that was pre you know pre pushed for pre-sales or you know really even announced much ahead of time other than a few magazines here and there it was not pushed at all and so you know me and the other guys that worked there that had been playing video games since you know nintendo or earlier were super excited about new castlevania but it seemed like the average person who came in did not care, or was like, yeah, great, that's an old game, look at it. Like, it looks just like the old Castlevanias, why would you play this? And it did not do very well at all in the store. I mean, we bought it, we played it nonstop, we tried to push it on people, and there were, you know, a handful of folks that were interested and eventually would would look into it, but it did not do incredibly well. I I can kind of understand why, because, you know, they're just trying to push 3D fighters or, you know, 3D racers, all these things that are all polygons, which at the time was pretty impressive. So, uh, you know, this did not in my experience, get a whole lot of push. And that's a real shame. Like, I think it, Mm -hmm. you know, at the time I was like, this is the best thing that's come out in the system. I know everyone's super excited about this new Madden, but trust me, this game is incredible and everyone needs to play it. So from the day it came out to today, it has been something that I've just, you know, I've, I've easily played through this game five or six times. Every time it comes out on different versions, I've probably got it. Despite that I have three other versions of it, I'm going to buy the, uh, the remasters that come out uh, when, when Sony puts them out in two weeks or whatever. Although, that's also when uh, Red Dead Redemption 2 comes out. So I will most likely oh. hold off on this for a few weeks because that's going to take up all my time. Um, but back to this game. It, if for some reason you don't know much about Castlevania, um, th- then I have a, a short summary of the previous games. I'm sure we did this again on our previous episodes that covered it. Uh, two years ago, but I'm going to go over it again real quick. So the first Castlevania, and I'm only going to talk consoles. I know there are PC ports and there's an arcade version in here somewhere, but uh, I'm not going to talk about any of that. So the original Castlevania was a, a regular Nintendo game. came out in 1986 in Japan, 87 here. That was the one of the first games I ever owned for the Nintendo. When we bought the mm-hmm. Nintendo, which I got a little bit later than when it came out, Castlevania was the first game that I personally picked that we bought as a kid. I loved that game. I played it nonstop. I never finished it until I was an adult. I think I finally finished it three years ago. But uh, but I got far in. I mean, I would get to, to level five, the death area, over and over again mm-hmm. and die. But I loved it. I loved the theme. It played really well. Um, but, you know, it was very frustrating. There's no saves. So once you get fed up and you turn off the system, you have to start over again. Uh, that said, it's a series of, you know, start at one point in the level, go to the end point of the level. That's it. Uh, great game, though. Uh, the second game came out in 1988 uh, in the U.S., Castlevania II Simon's Quest. That's the one everyone posts, well, we do, post a fair amount of screenshots that are awkward. <laughs> it is kind of an unintelligible game. It does allow you to go anywhere. It's a big map like Metroid was, but it was not well organized. There is no direction whatsoever as what to do. In fact, there's 
uh, there's lies. People that you talk to will tell you the wrong thing on purpose, but you never know who's telling the truth or lying until you go and try to figure out what to do. Uh, and that led to a lot of people never finishing that game and getting very frustrated. Uh, it's not the most difficult Castlevania, but just trying to figure out where to go and how to get certain things to do, uh, it's kind of a mess. That said, one of my favorites as well. Despite that, it's fairly unintelligible. Castlevania 3 came out in 89 or 90, and that was back to the original style of Castlevania, where you have the start point, you go to an end point. Now, they did have branching paths where you could go different directions through your game, mm -hmm. but ultimately you still start at one point, ended at the same point. Uh, the, the other benefit to Castlevania 3 is they added three characters you could find on your way to fight Dracula. They could join you. You could only have one join you at a time. Uh, it was Grant, who was like a thief guy that crawled uh, on the ceilings, I want to say, and threw daggers. Sypha, who was a mage. And Alucard, who was the son of Dracula, and he could turn into a bat. And he had fireballs, but really, in Castlevania Three, all the side characters for Grant were a little messy. Uh, that said, great game. Very, very hard. Still haven't beaten it. There were some Game Boy games that came out in the middle there. But really, the, the Castlevania series the best versions of them were probably the 16-bit uh, until this game, which we covered in episode 35 uh, for the Halloween 2016, Castlevania 4, Super Castlevania 4 for mm -hmm. the Super Nintendo, uh, Bloodlines for the Genesis, and Rondo of Blood for the PC Engine. It's a Turbo Graphics, but it never came out here, so it's the PG PC Engine. Uh, Rondo of Blood is one of those games that, you know, when I owned a Turbo Graphics, everyone's like, oh, dude, when this game comes out here, it's the best Castlevania. It's going to blow all these other games away. And it never came out here. And I was not going to find the creepy guy at the import store. Uh, so I never got to play that version until they remade it for the Castlevania Chronicles collection for the PSP. Uh, it's a different version of the game, but you can unlock the original. Um, but that is the game that is the prequel to this game. So mm -hmm. Symphony of the Night... Uh, it starts with a battle where you're Richter and you go up against Dracula. It's the very end fight of Rondo of Blood. You play it again. It's actually the same boss forms. Um, I think there's some difference in the dialogue, but it's the same basic battle at the end of that game, and that starts off the story of this game. And that's really, really cool, but as a, as when this first came out the first time, I had never played Rondo of Blood. I don't think it mattered because it was Richter. It was a Belmont fighting a, a you know fighting Dracula, so you didn't need that background, but it's super yeah. cool that if you did play it, it really does tie directly to this game. So Symphony of the Night is the first Castlevania that um, most people consider the, the 90s and, and 2000s Castlevanias, uh, Igarashi Castlevanias. He was the producer for uh, the Castlevania series from 1999 to 2011. This is the first game he worked on. He worked on some other dating games, apparently, that did really well for Konami, uh, and then he said he wanted to do something else, and you know, this is what they gave him. Uh, this was supposed to be kind of a side story to the Castlevanias. So they were allowed to kind of do whatever they want. You didn't have to follow the standard formula. You could make a new character. Uh, they chose to focus on Alucard uh, as the main character mm -hmm. for this game after that intro section. Uh, so it allowed them to do a lot of things that the previous Castlevanias didn't. You could have powers that let you fly or give you the ability to find new weapons and armors and other things. All things that the older Castlevanias, even Simon's Quest, that kind of had a build, you know, a map that built out as you played it, didn't allow you to do. This really let them make a game that was much more like a Super Metroid. Or, uh, you know, they, there's a lot of comparisons here to the kind of things that the Zelda series does. I don't think that's as good of a comparison as Super Metroid, which I think is a direct comparison to how this game plays. Um, mm. But the other thing is uh, Igarashi really didn't like 
short action games. He wanted games that were a little longer. Uh, he liked the idea of, of how games like Zelda and Metroid let you explore. So the, the combat's important, but it's not the end-all, be-all like it is in a Castlevania. The you know original Castlevanias are much shorter levels, uh, very, very hard combat sections. You get to bosses, they're all pretty difficult to learn exactly how to beat them. Uh, this game was, was definitely focused a lot more on uh, a much, much larger map that you would get new abilities that lets you go back to areas you've already gone to, and maybe you'll find a new pathway you couldn't reach before. You know, a, a ledge you couldn't get to until you get the double jump. Then you can get to that new ledge, and it opens up a whole new map, but it's back in the first or second section of the game. And that's something he really wanted to do. Um, I, I think that's what makes this game, you know, stand out the most to me, because I loved Castlevania 2, but it was... A giant mess to try to play through. Even now, I have it on the NES Classic, and I've tried to finish it again, and I'm like, I've forgotten how to get anywhere in this game. I've wandered around a bunch, and, and yes, you, you do kind of get levels and things, but it's really, really awkwardly explained, and I, I'm not very good at it now, but I do remember that I, you know, I, I have beaten it. I'm sure I can do it again, but I'll probably have to look up a fact. This you don't need. This, is, this makes a lot more sense. It's got a built-in map you can see. Uh, as you go through the game, it, it puts it up on the screen for you. It's not like a you know, again, Castlevania 2, there's no mapping. You just have to kind of memorize where everything is. This is this is definitely a lot more akin to, to Super Metroid, but, you know, in Castlevania. Yeah, that was, I mean, the, one of the reasons why I went for it at that import store. Because like, I saw it in a, a Game Fan magazine, which, you know, the, uh, probably a lot of magazines didn't really push this like what you said. But Game Fan was kind of... They were a little bit different. If anybody read Game Fan magazine mm -hmm. back then, you know they were very big into uh, Japanese style games. They they definitely pushed the more three D centric games. But when anything that came out that was like a two D old school kind of sixteen bit game on on a newer system, they pushed it to the the sky. Mm -hmm. And Castlevania it was on the cover of one of the magazines, and I they had like a, a four or five page spread of that game, and it sold me instantly i was like this i have to get this i love castlevania castlevania was a, probably the first nes game i ever played so that that was it for me and seeing that it was in you know inspired by super metroid but also had a lot of rpg style things in like a leveling system different mm -hmm. weapons that you could equip uh, things like that it, i was just like i have to get this any way i can so that's why I went to the import store and, and bought it like, you know, how it was. Uh, but again, with, with how I played it back in the day, a lot of the things that are, is very simple for a lot of people to see when you're playing through it was not simple for me. So uh, it, it, it ended up being this thing that I played probably for hours, hours upon end, just exploring everything, figuring out where I need to go next. Because this map is huge. It is a big map. It is not just a, <clears throat> a few levels here and there like you would think in a, in a normal Castlevania game. Uh, this is, uh, I don't even know how many sections, but, you know, it's its at least seven, eight, nine sections uh, of the, this huge map that you have to find your way through. And a lot of the things you can't actually get through until you, like Metroid, you find different powers and uh, power-ups that allow you to access those new levels or areas that you need to progress. So this is this is definitely yes I would say this is more Super Metroid than Zelda, but still there there's something very very Castlevania about it that just made it just super fun to play through.
Well, I mean, one of the things immediately makes it feel like Castlevania, aside from that if you did play Castlevania 3, your Alucard, but the very first area you go through after that Richter fight is essentially the first Castlevania's first map. Um, if you if you remember the first Castlevania yeah. map, I mean, you basically go through mm-hmm. the entryway, then you go through that the part that has the rock you have to go under and get to where the like the mermen or whatever are, and then back up to the side where you fight a bat. That whole section is right there. You don't fight a bat at the end, but it's that's the start of the game. And when mm-hmm. you start the game, uh, I mean, you, you again, you're Alucard, Dracula's son. Uh, you're super powered. Like you're just destroying things. If they hit oh, you, it barely yeah. does any damage. Uh, you know, you're not. You're not flying around shooting laser rays, uh, lasers out of your eyes or anything, but pretty close. I mean, you've got a sword, and you're just running forward, just slicing things to death. And you get mm-hmm. to, speaking of that, you get to the first section where there's a, quote, boss, and it's death. Uh, he was one of the, the bosses in most of the Castlevanias, but most notably in Rondo of Blood. He's one of the hardest ones. And he stops you, asks what you're doing, uh, and you basically tell him you're here to stop your father. And he's like, fine, uh, if you want to do that, go ahead. And then he takes all your wep- all your powers away, basically. You just become a guy... Uh, that can jump pretty high for a normal guy, I suppose, uh, with punches. And you'll lose all your weapons, all your armor, and there you go. You get started. Um, the game kind of gives you an, an area when you first keep moving through the map where it will give you kind of like garbage armor and a garbage sword. And that's mm-hmm. great. But then you've got to, you know, figure out how to get stronger so that you can get through the rest of this castle and take down Dracula. Um, Unlike the previous Castlevanias, where you hit candles and you get the whip power up or whatever, this game, like Jeremy said earlier, you get new weapons and new armor. You find them. Some of them are hidden in the castle, but most often than not, uh, you'll kill an enemy and randomly they will drop a sword or some armor or you know a random item. Some of them are useful. Some of them are like rusty swords and it doesn't mean much to you. You know, it's it it does more damage than your fists, but it's not that great. And there are some weapons that are absolutely incredible, and they're extremely rare drops off of characters you only see once or twice. And so mm-hmm. you can keep finding them and killing them if you knew where to go or, uh, and get those items. Or you can just, you know, the game is not that mean. So the best weapons and armor, or at least the most reasonable weapons and armor to finish the game, are actually hidden throughout the castle, and you can find them. But it is extremely cool that you do find these random items as you kill guys, and some of them will make you immediately stronger. Uh, the other thing that happens as you kill people is that you do have an experience bar, unlike every other Castlevania. And as you get experience, it also makes you stronger, makes you, gives you more defense. So between the combination of getting new weapons and armor and, you know, killing guys to get your levels up, along with just general Castlevania exploration to, uh, to get your new powers and new forms, you slowly will progress and get much stronger as you go. So when, once mm-hmm. you've played for the game for even a couple hours, you go back to that first section, and it, you feel almost as strong as you did when you were the original Alucard. Yeah, and uh, I have to say, uh, my hat's off to the the opening of this. Uh, it's it's one of my favorite things in a game is uh, you know the, a, a game like this where you kind of level up and power up and get better gears you go along and can just come back and stomp through areas that you used to have trouble with. Uh, I mean, I, I I love that in a game, and to start the game off with you at, at full power and and they kind of demonstrate it by putting like some pretty pretty huge wolf enemies on there and and you one hit them and i i think that really demonstrates kind of you know how strong your your character is i mean this looks like a like a mini boss almost and you know you're just smacking them down like regular regular minions on there uh 
so when you lose your powers, I mean, it's 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 exciting because when you learn there is that leveling up system, uh, when you see that you can and equip gear and you, you get that new piece of gear and you, you look at it and it, it does show it moves your attack power up or whatnot. Uh, it's 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 exciting because you believe that, you know, with uh, some leveling up and, and some time put into the game, you can reach that point that they kind of kind of teased at the beginning of the game. So I think that automatically, I'm a sucker for that. And that gave me all the motivation I needed to, to play through this game. Yeah, that's, that's definitely one of the, one of those things that a lot of games do is just give you a tease of, of mm-hmm. what kind of power that you can have. If you, if you put some time into it and mm-hmm. it, this one does it perfectly because it, it does just put all of that stuff in front of you. You can just mow through everything and, you know, it does suck when you get those powers taken away from you and you see exactly what, you know, the what you have to do mm-hmm. to, to progress. And it's not as easy anymore, but there's just that notion in your mind that I could I can get back to that point. Mm-hmm. I, I can, you know, if I just put some time into this, I can be that completely badass vampire that is yeah. just one shotting everything in this game. And it, mm-hmm. honestly, it comes faster than you what you what you would think it does. Yeah. So I mean, it it rewards you it, just playing it over the next few hours and, and getting back to where you were. But yeah, it it does the, just that tease at the beginning is such a great thing. Well, and it does reward you fast. That's a good point. I mean, aside from immediately giving you kind of a a base armor and sword to start with, uh, in the next couple of rooms from where you you lose all your powers, uh, the way this game builds out, there are I mean, you say eight or nine, but there might be actually close to 20 different zones in this game that you mm. you explore through. Now, they're, they're seamless in between each. There's like a little loading screen in between each that you walk through as a, a plain hallway that lets you know you're going to a new section. But it's not like, you know, you can't go back to the other sections or it's a big deal to do so. No, you can freely walk in between all 20 of these areas. Mm-hmm. Um, so after you get through that first area, you come to your first save room, and it's... It's a, like a big orb thing that spins around. You touch it, you get all your health back. You fill up. Uh, you know, it lets you save and stop there as your your checkpoint. So if something happens, you get to start right there again. Uh, and you'll find as you explore this castle, there's a good deal of save rooms. It doesn't necessarily um, save you from backtracking because you're going to do a fair amount of backtracking if you do die uh, to get back to to whatever boss or whatever you were at. But it's not like a previous Castlevania, you know, Castlevania One's a great example where if you die and have to continue, you go back to the very beginning of the level. You have to go through ten minutes of you know platforming hell or whatever to get to the boss to die once and and start again from that same point. This, thankfully, with the save rooms, uh, some of the bosses and some of the the harder parts are very close to those save rooms. So you do give yourself a lot of time to to come back, try something very very difficult without really killing yourself, which is great. Mm-hmm. That's a nice bonus to this game. Um, one of the other things that we kind of mentioned is the previous Castlevanias are considered very difficult. I mean, they're not impossible, but they're definitely difficult. This game, especially because you can overlevel things pretty quickly, if you take your time and kill everything in every room you're going through, you'll probably be too strong for whatever the next room is, where it's not going to mm. be too challenging uh, unless you've gone completely off the, the track that you're supposed to go. Um, the other part is... There's a lot of bosses in this. The previous Castlevanias, there's one per level. So if there's six levels in Castlevania 1, you get six bosses. This game probably has 50 bosses, <laughs> maybe, <laughs> hidden throughout this this map. You go to a room, and you know you're in a boss room because the door behind you locks, and you'll get to this giant, cool-looking boss. And, and for the most part, 
they're just giant cool-looking bosses that if you pay any attention whatsoever and time your attacks and don't just charge at them, you can probably beat them with little difficulty. Um, as a bonus to that, not only will you probably out, you can out-level things if they, if they become too difficult, but some of the items you find and what drop from enemies are health pickups. In the previous yeah. Castlevanias, you'd you know, break a wall open and find a turkey, and for whatever reason, you'd eat it. Uh, this, this game, you can get that turkey, and you save it. So then when you need it, you'll throw it in front of you, eat it, and get back 50 hit points, which is, you know, early on in the game, most of your hit points. Uh, you can save all these health items or potions or elixirs that you find. So if there is a very difficult battle, and there's only a handful of them that I honestly would say are really difficult, you can power through them. Even unless you're extremely underleveled, uh, you, you can basically go to a boss and save all those health items, finish that boss up, get to a save room, boom. You'll never have to fight them again. Uh, and mm-hmm. it makes it so that... While the game is definitely not a cakewalk by any means, it it gives you a lot of options to make sure that you know the focus is on exploration and the focus is on, you know, seeing everything you can possibly see in this game, figure out all the puzzles, not necessarily I got to, you know, death and I couldn't get past him because he's too hard. Uh, like I kind of had a problem with Rondo uh, with that section. That's probably, I, I would see the, the biggest complaint about Symphony of the Night that over the years, it's just that the progression of the game is... It's not cohesive in a way that it's just not difficult because, yes, you can totally just play through a few of these sections. And if you explore it all and kill all of these enemies, it really seems like you level up and you gain better weapons, better armor, all this stuff at a quicker pace than what the actual difficulty of the game Mm, is, you know, how it is. Uh, it, it almost seems like they made the game in in a way that if you <laughs> just play through it and not really kill anything or, or just do the bare minimum of any, anything, then things will be challenging. But if you're trying to do anything, if you're killing these enemies, if you're exploring, probably by the second or third section, you are already over-leveled for what this game requires you to be. So yes, you are just cakewalking through a lot of these bosses. Mm-hmm. And and that's just how the game is. I mean, either you love it or you hate it. I didn't mind back in the day, but that's just how it is. I and and I have to say, and and I guess it's showing our hand a little bit on our, our thoughts. That's my biggest complaint. Is just uh, it it's very generous, maybe a little over generous with the uh, the the leveling system on here, and and some of the some of the drops you get. Because yeah, if you just explore or God forbid if you start just grinding on here with the the intentions of leveling yourself up, you're gonna find that uh, there's not gonna be much challenge ahead for you. And uh, I mean, if you know that going in, if you, I guess it's okay if you want a more challenging game, you can kind of kind of tailor the way you're you're playing to that. Uh, you can kind of restrict yourself as far as as what you do. But I think a lot of people playing for the first time are gonna kind of try to kill everything on there uh, especially if you uh, are aware that there is a leveling system and you know there is kind of you know reward for killing as many enemies as you can uh, but yeah I just I, I just found it a little bit jarring you know how uh, how not difficult a lot port a lot of portions of this game were just because I you know kind of took the time and backtracked a ton and tried to search every every little nook on there. I don't think that's necessarily a problem. Like, I don't mind that some of these bosses were... It's not a problem because it's it's completely, you know, if you have, like I said, if you have knowledge of it beforehand, you can, you know, 
yeah, you can kind of cater your your play style to allow for a a, a more difficult kind of kind of game if you want. Well, and, and I think maybe not a different kind of. I mean, you could try to make it harder for yourself, but I think it's you know we've played this a bunch over the years in general. Mm-hmm. So there's a lot of things we know, oh, this is coming up. We know what the power-ups are, are going to be. Mm-hmm. You know, I know I turn mm-hmm. into a bat at some point, so I'll have these whole areas I can fly into. When I played this originally, and, and I read the manual again at a certain point in this just to kind of see, like, when I got stuck on this playthrough on something, I was like, maybe the manual would have said more that I you know don't remember, and that's why I can't remember this. But the manual really doesn't say much at all. Um, mm. it, it gives you some, you know, it tells you how to play the game and it tells you that you get familiars and it tells you that you get these other powers, but you know, the, the game does a great job of making you as strong as you were at the beginning, but also giving you a bunch of new abilities you didn't have then, which I mm-hmm. think is really cool. So along with just becoming stronger and getting better weapons and armor, uh, you get to the ability to transform into a wolf or a bat or some mm. fog. Mm-hmm. And the fog is actually very helpful because there are grates and things you can slide through only as fog that get you access to new areas and, uh, bonuses you couldn't have found otherwise. Um, the bat flies. And the wolf, I, I'm going to be honest, I can't figure out a reason you ever want to be that wolf. Does anyone know why you'd ever be the wolf? I can't figure no, it out. No, I mean, the, the, the mist, obviously, or the fog, rather, is is the most useful. Uh, it's it's amazing. The bat, the bat, you can get a little cheap with that bat and and pass over quite a few things. The wolf, though, I besides initially transforming and kind of testing it out a little bit here and there, I... I didn't really see a purpose for it. There's like two or three sections in that game where the wolf is kind of a uh, useful because you can dash with the wolf. Uh, mm. You can move across the screen extremely quick and anything mm. that's in front of him, you can just destroy. Uh, so there are a couple, uh, maybe two or three sections in that entire game where you can just flat out dash that wolf across the screen. And, it, you know, before it might take you like, two or three minutes with Alucard jumping around, killing enemies as you get across and you could just go across there with like instantly with that wolf and just kill everything in your way. Mm. That's essentially the high point of the wolf. Um, and I, this kind of comes along with the, the difficulty of the game. It's not so much, uh, you know, the, the difficulty isn't that big of a deal with the game, mm-hmm. but once you start getting these other forms and everything, it's the exploration I, I would say is, is the most fun in this mm-hmm. game. That's where the fun comes from. This game is getting all of these different uh, the things that you can transform into and realize, oh, I can go back. It's much like Super Metroid. You go back to this area like, oh, I can use the mist to get through here and see what's here. There's just so much in that game that it really makes it feel like just exploring the castle is Mm. is the fun in that game with those different forms. Oh, yeah. Well, and, and it's not just exploring the castle. I mean, we just basically talked about how the bosses weren't a big deal because there's so many of them they're kind of easy that said they all look super cool mm-hmm. so even the first couple bosses that you just blow through you're like oh it's a big guy with a sword i'll just dodge a sword and stab him and yep there we go he's he's dead they all look different they all look interesting uh there are some incredibly cool looking bosses so you you don't want to miss anything just so you could see it all even if you're going to end up just destroying them when you get there you don't want to miss any of them aside from the fact yeah. that when you do kill them you get some extra health or a power up or something of use it's just neat to see all the different things that are hidden in this game you know just for the bosses i mean that was always one of the things i liked about the castlevania series is the way everything looked i liked the enemies i liked the bosses i i like you know a horror themed action game so to see the bosses they can do in in a not much prettier game than the original Castlevanias on 8-bit. It, it's nice to see those bosses. So, um, 
I just wanted to see everything. Now, again, I don't feel bad spoiling this because I think at this point everyone has heard about this. But there's nothing in the manual that explains anything about this. And like Jeremy said, he played this on a on an import. So not only do you want to explore everything so you can see everything, because that's that's fun in these kind of games in a Metroid game. But if you didn't know what you were doing, if you didn't explore everything and really map everything out to the fullest, you get to the top of the castle to fight Dracula, but it's not Dracula at all. It's Richter, Belmont, from the beginning of the game, who's come back. His whole goal is to bring back Dracula, because that way uh, he can fight Dracula forever and stay famous. There's some ridiculous reason that he would bring Dracula back. Literally, it's like, well, without Dracula, I'm not important, so I need Dracula so we can fight forever. And he challenges you to a fight. You beat him, and the game ends. And it's just like, yeah, you, that wasn't very great, was it? You're like, what the what the hell was that? And and you've got to explore the entire map to figure out that there's actually... That's like the half point of the game. It's a little farther than that, but essentially it's the half point of the game is that fight. And you need to find a handful of items that will eventually get you these special glasses you have to wear as an item to fight him to see exactly that it's not really him in control of himself and unlock the second half of the game, which is the inverted castle, which is a negative version uh-huh. of the castle you're already in. Ever, literally, the ceilings are the floors. You go up to the basement as and start at the top. <laughs> it's extremely cool, too, and I, I'm pretty sure that's the thing you were referring to, Jeremy, when you talked about the most incredible thing you've ever found in a video game. Yeah, so I, I played that import version weeks for weeks and, and stumbled my way through that game and, and actually got to the point where I was fighting Richter and, and beat him. And, the, you know, whenever you beat Richter, the, it gives you an ending and the credits roll. And I was mm-hmm. like, oh, OK, you know, that wasn't the ending that I expect. That wasn't the boss I expected. It wasn't Dracula. But hell, the game was amazing. I, I just figured I beat it. <laughs> you know, I, that's, I, I'm good. You know, that, that was Symphony of the Night for me. And then Shit. I remember like two years later, and it might have been a little bit sooner. I, I can't quite remember when the U.S. version came out from the Japanese version. But I remember I was in high school in our computer lab. And this is like the first time back in the day, this is telling you how fucking old this is, uh, when we first got internet access. So I was on GameFAQs and, <laughs> and, and looking up uh, is Symphony of the Night game. Just, you know, there were a few areas that I couldn't find or figure out how to get into. And I was looking that up, and I saw one of the the FAQs facts that was like inverted castle, and I was like, "What? Like that? That did, I haven't the hell, you know? I just did the castle, and I, I looked it up and saw that you have to have these these particular glasses, these items that you get uh, to to wear these glasses so that you can see that you're fighting this this I don't know mind reader whatever the fuck he is sorcerer that's mm. controlling Richter that you actually have to hit besides Richter." And <laughs> beating him gets you the inverted castle. And finding that out, seeing that I had only played half of <laughs> one of the best games I've ever played. I mean, it's just, it, you don't understand just like coming home from school and doing that and seeing that it's just like, holy shit, I've still got 50% of a game to go. And it, it's only whenever it drops you into that inverted castle. It's all it's upside down, of course. It's whole new enemies. I mean, everything is upside down, but they had to imagine what they did to design this castle to make not only make it challenging and cohesive in its regular form, but also when it's flipped upside down 
to make it totally the exact it's just it, it's just amazing that they were able to accomplish that well and it's harder i mean the game yes. is still not not mm-hmm. impossible by any means but once you get to the inverted castle the game definitely notches up difficulty not just are you fighting in areas that probably weren't the best you know places to have fights because you're you know in some places the ceilings were at weird angles or they had broken you know broken pieces on them and you have to kind of jump over them now but also just the the rooms that used to have bosses may have a new boss and it may be complete and it's normally completely different and they have to find ways to make you know if you fought a giant boss in a certain room on the first pass through when you get to the sem- the second time it's another different completely different giant boss that has to use the same room uh, and the same you know environment to have a different fight i'm i mean it's it's impressive when you first get to the inverted castle just Mm. how different it is even though you recognize everywhere you're going you know where you're heading generally because you've been there before and if you did get to the inverted castle it means you've pretty much seen 85 to 90 percent of the entire map of the regular castle so you've probably seen everything you need to get to the end of the inverted castle so uh, it to to get into how to find the inverted castle to begin with, and this is where I got stuck. You need both a gold and silver ring, and you go back to the clock room. There's a clock room in the center of the tower that, when you first get there, you know it's got to be important because the music stops. You can only hear a clock. There are actual multiple paths out of the room, and sometimes depending on, I don't know if it's based on what the time is in the game or like certain things you do, but certain paths will open up at the top. That you can find little rooms with bonuses and such. Uh, but there's clearly a door at the bottom that will not open. No matter what you do, it just stays locked. And you can see on your map that there's a door there. Like, it just won't open. So once you have both room, both rings and you equip them in that room, it opens a door. And that takes you to a room where you find Maria again. Uh, Maria Renard was in Rondo of Blood. You actually save her. Um, but she's also in the castle now looking for Richter. And she's the one who has apparently found these glasses and is going to give them to you if you can... You know, if you if you will go save Richter. So you have to find her, find these glasses and then put them on as an item and go fight Richter. And that's how you you know, you can find that Richter is really not the person that's in charge of this and find the inverted castle. I could not find one of those two rings. And it's because (laughs) in order to find and I want to say it's the gold ring, but it could be the silver ring. It doesn't matter. There's a, a little branch off on one of the towers on the top left of the map where spikes are all over the floor and the ceiling, and there's, you know, at first you're like, oh, good, I can fly through that, because there's a big gap in the middle. Once I become a bat, I can fly through the middle of it. But then there's a grate, so you need to turn to fog. But you can't turn right from a bat into fog without turning into a human in the middle, and you hit those spikes, and it makes you shoot all over the room, and you can't go back. And I probably died a few times trying to get through that, thinking I was just timing it wrong. Uh, I could not figure out how to break the the spikes or or get through the spikes and there's actually a set of armor called like spike breaker and you put it on and it lets you break spikes when you walk through it and it's in a room that's like in the bottom of the castle that you have to find a fake floor and punch through that to find the little i mean it's like all the little Mm. things if you didn't explore you're never going to find these rings to begin with and then even if you find them you have to read the inscription on the rings that say put these on in the cat in the in the clock room and then get back to the clock room, remember to equip them as rings, and then you find the extra room. Like, that's all stuff that, especially if you didn't have this in English, I don't know who would ever have figured this out. But even no, in I, English, <laughs> I couldn't figure it out. <laughs> it was just it, some of the most Dark Souls-ass shit as, as far as, like, making it through halfway through this game and, and getting that stuff. But, yeah, I, I had – there was no, no way that I could – even when I had finally played through the U.S. version – 
it was just obtuse. I mean, yeah. it's just, I mean, it wasn't like something you just kind of naturally come across in this game. It is something you have to go out of your way to to explore and find to make sure that you can actually get halfway through this game properly. And once you get to the inverted castle, it, it I don't want to say it changes, but you've pretty much got most of your regular upgrades, your new abilities, everything that you need to get through the inverse castle you have. So now you're just grinding for gear essentially, or, or exploring the whole map to find all the pieces of your missing gear. I think you have to fight and defeat death to open the door to get to the last area, although if you have to, I did that by accident. I was just trying to find everything, and I killed death, but I don't think it lets you open that door. You go back to the clock room in the inverse castle, and I think if you've done everything you need to, the door will open, and you can go fight um, uh, Dracula and the, the wizard that was bringing him back. And, and that's the proper end to Symphony of the Night, but the fact... That you played this game and two years later found out you'd only gotten to the <laughs> in the sixty percent mark is is what I think a lot of people ended up happening. Uh, I mean that's that's kind of something that happens in some of the the Game Boy Castlevanias, the Game Boy Advance yeah. Castlevanias. Uh, there's one of them where you have to have a certain item and like touch a mirror to go to the right boss in the in the boss room because if you don't do that you fight the boss and the same thing happens like it just goes to credits and you're like what the hell was that I just finished this game in two hours I don't know what how do you get through this and none of that's in any instruction manual you've just got to play it enough and figure out to look at every single item and inspect it and maybe you'll piece those things together um, you know I I, I love that about this game is that, that that people might have not known about the inverted castle I definitely didn't know you know the first time through until until I realized, like, that can't be the ending, and I haven't seen everything in the map, and, you know, after you do that, you get to, to go to your last save and keep exploring, so you know there has to be something else there. But uh, I, I love, I mean, that's that's the first Castlevania that did this, and pretty much every Castlevania after this kind of takes this this go-anywhere path, and you get, mm. I mean, especially the Game Boy Advance Castlevanias, the three of them are, are essentially different versions of games in this mold. Yeah, and I, I, you know, definitely I think we should mention that it's not that you're just getting these two rings, but throughout this entire game, you are getting dozens upon dozens of different items. Yeah. Th throughout, it, it just, it runs the gamut of just everything. I mean, you're getting weapons, you're getting armor, you're getting uh, power-up items, health items. It is just nonstop of, of the things that you get in this game. And to understand that you have to at this certain point to actually fight Richter, you know, to get to this point, you have to equip both of those rings at the same time and then go down there and, and do what you need to do. There's, I, I literally had no clue. And if you're not paying attention, I don't know, you know, for the U S audience when they were playing that, if, if it was the same, but it is, it's definitely something that you have to pay attention to and, and know that you're doing to get past this point. So, I mean, there may have been more people like me that when they finally figured out that this is what you're supposed to do, these two random rings that you need to have on so you can continue in the game, mm. you know, that might have had the same experience I did. Oh, I know that would have been me for sure. Um, Cause yeah, I mean, I, I knew it fortunately now going into it, I, I knew that aspect of it. And so I, I knew what to look for, um, kind of what needed to be done. Well, but I can only imagine if I would have finished this back, you know, back when it was released, back when I was just, you know, picking up at the video store. Yeah, I would have considered that the end uh, and probably never would have picked it back up again.
forgot to talk about someone well, I forgot to. There's so many things to talk about in this game. We've already hit almost an hour and we haven't discussed a couple of the mechanics that make this game more interesting than the previous Castlevanias. Uh, along with your new transformations, you get the ability to summon familiars. You find cards that have specific familiars on them. Uh, it's like a you know a summoning someone a little helper that flies around you. At the beginning, they don't do much. Uh, there's a devil, a fairy, a bat, a skull, and a sword in the U.S. release. There's mm-hmm. actually two other familiars in the Japanese release that uh, I think a different devil and a different fairy. I want to say, but those five familiars will just kind of fly around around you and sometimes attack an enemy and you're like okay that's kind of cool it's a, you know a floating skull that flies around me that's all right um, but some of them actually do serve a purpose outside of just doing damage to things uh, the fairy will find secret rooms you go into a room where there is a secret wall and it will say like that wall over there looks weird so you know you know you need to go and find that and the devil will, will push little switches you'll see in a couple spots of the dungeon i think it's only two or three places there's a switch buried in the wall that you can't affect and the devil will actually fly up and hit them for you, and that opens some extra mm-hmm. areas too. Nothing mm-hmm. you need to get to to finish the game in that case, um, but it's still neat to have that sort of stuff there. Um, there's a librarian uh, in, in the library of all places uh, who will sell weapons, and he also sells you videos of how to fight the bosses. So once you run into a boss one time, if you're having a problem, you can go to him, and he'll show you a little video of how to beat them. Uh, the only thing I will say is when you get to Richter, if you go to get a video of how to fight Richter, it shows you how to kill Richter, but not how to, you know, put on the glasses and find the real enemy, which is kind of cool, too. Yeah, that was pretty clever. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then one of the things you can find and buy from the librarian as well are spells. Uh, I had completely forgotten about spells because I never use them. You do have a magic bar that you use for your transformations. It goes down as, as long as you're a bad or missed or whatever. But also you can use it to cast spells. But the spells are not needed to finish the game. They just kind of almost are like flavor <laughs> items. Uh, but they yeah. basically are Street Fighter moves. It'll be like, yeah, you hit forward, then back, then down to forward again. And, you know, you'll flash, and and every time you do a damage to an enemy, it gives you a little bit of life back. And you're like, well, that's kind of cool, you know, it, it, as a spell. But there's so many other spells where it's like you flash to the other side of the room, hit something with your sword once, and flash back to where you were. Like, it, it's not incredibly useful. It's all kind of cool stuff. But I had completely forgotten they even existed until I had finished this game and went back to look for things I'd missed. Yeah, I, I think some of them are a little awkward to pull off, I thought. Um, and, and yeah, I just I never encountered any spells that I thought were, were horribly useful. Um, I don't really think throughout the course of the game I strategically used any. I think it was more like, oh, hey, I got this. Let me try it out. And and then I just kind of moved on from there. Um, I Spells, I really, if, if you wanted to take something out, out of your already pretty extensive arsenal, I mean, I, I think the spells probably could go. That being said, I'm sure there are probably people that fucking whip through this game and put them to, to good use. Um, I, I'm just not one of those people. I really didn't have much use for the, the spells in this game. So yeah, Symphony Night is probably, I mean, easily one of my favorite PlayStation games. And it didn't do incredibly well uh, because it just, you know, in the U.S., no one cared about 2D games. I mean, I'd love to say that mm. wasn't true, but especially at the time, it really was. I mean, we had to you had to really force a 2D game on people. They didn't care anymore. You know, that was that was your 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 old you know your kid system that had those games. This is it was PlayStation, so you wanted realistic racing games, sports games. No one wanted a 2D game where you play as a vampire. Uh, turns out they were wrong though. Uh, the game did do well enough in Japan, and 
you know, basically after people kind of got tired of the novelty of 3D, went back and tried this and were like, hey, this is a really, really solid game. Uh, mm -hmm. It was on, you know, it was re-released as a PlayStation Classic for 20 bucks. It came out, uh, like Billy said, on the, I think on the 360. It's been put out mm -hmm. on the PSP uh, collection of Castlevania Chronicles. You can unlock it. And again, it will be on the PS4 HD re-release. But one of the most interesting versions of this game uh, not good, but interesting, is the Saturn <laughs> in Japan only got Ooh. a port of this a year after the fact. So it was still fairly new. Um, but the Saturn is not easy to port from the PlayStation, apparently. I mean, the Saturn was a 2D um, force in a lot of ways. But I guess some of the effects that this game did did not translate well to the Saturn. Um, but what the Saturn did have was two extra areas, which I did look up online, and they were a little bit goofy. Uh, and it did have the ability to play as Maria. So oh. in this game, even the PlayStation version, if once you finish the game, you can enter your name as Richter, and you'll get to play through the whole game, minus the original section at the start, as Richter Belmont. Um, it becomes much harder. You don't get all the same drops by any means. You can't change your weapons and armor. You're a lot stronger to start than Alucard was, but you never get much stronger. You just basically fly through the game, kill a lot of things. I think you do get more health. Uh, but that's the only mm -hmm. real upgrade you get. Uh, in the Saturn version, and in both the PSP version and this PS4 remake, uh, after you beat it, you can enter your name as Maria to play as Maria. And that's a completely different style of play. So, Richter's a standard Castlevania. You're a guy with a whip. Okay, if you've played the previous Castlevanias, you know what you're in for. But Maria mm -hmm. runs around, and all of her abilities involve animals. So your default attack is like she throws birds that fly in a circle back at her. And then all her power-ups, instead of an axe or a dagger, it's like she gets a lion, and the lion will like shoot in front of her and, and like, you know, attack something right in front of her with heavy damage, knocking it back. Like, all of her attacks mm -hmm. are animal-based. It's very, very cool, but she's very weak. Two or three hits, and she's down. So the game is definitely difficult with Maria. I have not finished this game as Richter or Maria. Uh, I did watch a playthrough of the Maria run through, and it's it's pretty intense. I think they finished the game in eight minutes, and I I don't know how they did it. Uh, it's pretty amazing, though. Now, do they have their own endings also? Um, or? I I think they basically have the same ending. Uh, so the endings in this and actually all the cinematics in this are a little goofy because that's when you can realize the PlayStation has not aged incredibly well. The 3D scenes you get when you finish the game are not great. <laughs> uh, and and basically the, ver the the endings with Richter and Maria are abridged versions of the ending you see here. Okay. Um, but but still, it's neat to to see it. And you don't get to fight Dracula, I think, as either. I think you don't get to actually fight the final boss unless you're playing as Alucard. But again, you can't play as them until you've beaten as Alucard. So I don't know if that matters. Um, did either uh -uh. of you play the Saturn version? Uh, yeah, I actually did. <laughs> it's like continuing my. Uh... Uh, just wanting to hate myself, I, I bought the uh, the import version. <laughs> it never actually came out on the U.S. I, I don't believe. I, no, I it did could not. Could be wrong. Yes. So I bought the. There was this weird time where Electronics Boutique was selling import Saturn games uh, at in their store, and the uh, Symphony of the Night came out on that, and I was like, this is just. It's like can't lose. You know, the Saturn is just a two D monster. That that was. It can't do three D for shit. But goddamn, if it, you know if it. 2D is the thing that it can do. So I, I thought that this was going to be the definitive version of Symphony mm -hmm. of the Night. And it is just, it, it's not a good port. I mean, that's literally what it just seems like they did. They just ported it. They didn't try to optimize it at all for the Saturn. They're, the, the two areas that you talked about, just, I mean, it's nice that they're in there, but it's just, they're not, it, it doesn't fit well into the game. Oh. Uh, besides that, the 3D elements that are in, that are actually in the PlayStation version of the game 
are not done well on the Saturn. Uh, the transparencies that are all over the PlayStation version. Uh, if you know the Saturn, it can't actually do transparencies. It has to do sort of this weird uh, uh, screen door effect or something for, for transparencies. It looks awful. It looks absolutely awful. And for as many transparencies that are actually in the PlayStation version, it's something you can't, you just can't look past in that game. It's just something you always see. Uh, besides that, there's just this weird thing of where it's not in the correct aspect ratio as the the original PlayStation. It's it's kind of oddly stretched in a way that nothing looks quite right. And in doing that, it filters the actual pixels so that oh. it's 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 this kind of weird soft look that you know it, it just it doesn't look right. And it's such a shame because the Saturn is probably where that game should have shined if somebody would have just taken the time to make a proper port. But it's pretty obvious that they just tried to do in a way that it was the fastest possible port and and added a few sections. Uh, Also, I should mention there's just a ton of slowdown in that version. I I would avoid the Saturn version if if you see it. It's a neat collectible if that, but it is not the way to play that game. Well, and in the, the Saturn version and the PSP remake uh, that came out, uh, you do get to play as Maria, so you don't have to buy the Saturn version or find the Saturn version to do that. The the, old, the new remakes will do that. Apparently, the upcoming PS4 re-release will have that ability in there. Uh, the only complaint I've heard at all about the remakes, and again, they're not out, so maybe once they come out, everyone will see, you know, say, oh no, the animation's bad or it's slow or whatever, but I don't expect that to happen. But starting with the PSP version of this game, they re-recorded and rewrote all the dialogue uh, in the English (laughs) version. So, um, you know, the the one everyone remembers is like, you know, what is man a miserable pile of secrets or something (laughs) like that. Um, That is no longer in the game. It will not be in the HD re-release. I do believe you can pick the Japanese uh, text and, and... background tracks but again i don't think those are going to be unless you know japanese it's not going to help you too much um but it's cool that you can do those things so yeah that, that's the only real complaint i've seen is that i guess purists are upset that line's not in there anymore and the, the dialogue's different but the meaning of all the words is there the story didn't change it's not like all of a sudden dracula's you know trying to start a balloon factory and you're going to stop him i mean it's still the same story uh just just rewritten so that the the english is less uh, obnoxious uh so i'm looking forward to the ps4 remakes like i said i've got this on every other version i'm definitely going to buy it it'll be nice to have a, a version of rondo that's closer to the original while still having some some nice uh new graphics on top of it i highly recommend everybody i think we all do highly recommend everybody check this out if you haven't before it's probably the pinnacle of 2d Castlevania Metroidvania gaming yeah definitely I mean I, like we've said multiple times this is it, it, an amazing game I mean there's a reason things are called retro, Metroidvanias at this point and Symphony of the Night is that game it, it's it got its flaws but it's damn near perfect for what it actually is and, and I have to back that up um, I, I said at the beginning that you know uh that Castlevania 4, the one on Super Nintendo, is my high bar. Uh, after finally sitting down and giving this one a full beginning-to-end playthrough, yeah, this is it. This is the the pinnacle of, of you know of Castlevania games, which I, I guess makes it the pinnacle of, of you know the kind of Metroidvania-type game. I, I would put this one right neck and neck with Super Metroid, uh, you know, the best of any 
series. Uh, and I will be picking this one up again uh, when the, the, you know, the HD release comes out. So that's our thoughts on Castlevania Symphony of the Night, uh, both the original and any of the remakes. Uh, I do recommend if you did not listen to or do not remember, uh, we did cover the 16-bit Castlevanias in episode 35. That's where we'll talk about Castlevania 4 and Bloodlines and also Rondo of Blood, uh, which was discussed as the you know kind of prequel to this game. So I highly recommend listening to that if you're looking for some more Halloween podcasting before our next episode, which is going to be quite incredible. But before we tell you what our next episode is, I believe we have a listener question. We do. Uh, this uh, this question comes in from our website, from our <laughs> our newly added uh, thing where you can put in your information and, and just send us a question. I, again, this is 2018. And we're just now getting around to this. But yes, please go to Retrovania.net. At the very bottom of the page, you can get in, in touch with us. Send us a question we will probably answer it on here. And this week's question comes in from Donovan and it is, Hey guys, long time listener, first time caller. I was wondering if you have ever knowingly or unknowingly bought a counterfeit game or even those 52 in one monstrosities (laughs) and how well that worked out for you. So I would say, no, I've never bought one of these things, but I can't promise you that I don't own some sort of reproduction NES card. Apparently they're (laughs) rampant. Uh, If if you buy stuff on eBay, people are saying you can find games that are not originals that have been redone. Uh, I may own one of those not knowingly. So I guess I can't say I've not unknowingly bought one of those. It's very possible that I did. Uh, But I have not intentionally bought any of those. I remember seeing them... Uh, you know, systems at the mall that are like, you know, oh, 30 and one and it's games that are for multiple systems. So, you know, it's not like the <laughs> the flashbacks or whatever. It's like, oh, yeah, you can play Sonic and Super Mario and bonk all in this one system. And the control looks like a little wonky. And you're like, what is this thing? I never did buy one of those, but I considered it uh, just because they were so cheap and I wanted to see how bad it was. But I, I never did. Did either of you guys buy any of those things? I, I never did personally. I, I was always very uh, very leery around those. I, just something was, even when they first started coming around, uh, you knew something just wasn't quite right about it. Um, but no, uh, the closest, honestly, uh, unless I have something that is such a nice bootleg that I have had it for years and have no clue, uh, closest thing is I played uh, when the Wii first came around. I, I picked one up. Um, and you know, there's that spell where you just couldn't get a hold of it during that holiday season on end of, you know, early into the next year. Uh, but a, a friend of mine told me that he had gotten one off eBay. Um, and of course, you know, a, a week goes by and it comes in the mail and come to find out he got one of those just bizarre kind of looks like a Wii, almost. You know, you got your two nunchuck-looking things, and, you know, your two uh, motion controllers, And but it was not. It clearly was not. It was one of those, you know, loaded with, like, a, a hundred games, games used very loosely. Uh, just completely got ripped off on it. Went through a long back and forth with eBay about getting refunded with that. I guess apparently it came shipped to him in a wee box was, uh, was, was the trouble. So he unwittingly bought that. Uh, 
but yeah, I, I played around with that thing for a little bit, and it is atrocious. And I feel bad for any kid whose grandparent bought them that. I think that's probably what it comes down to. Is a lot of this stuff preys on older people getting gifts, you know, popular gifts for uh, their their kids or something. You know, I, yeah, I'm I mean, sure that's, that's were... got to be that's got to be eighty percent, eighty ninety percent of the market is you know the 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 grandparent maybe they you know the kids showed them a picture of it and you know they've got this picture in their mind and they see this thing at the the kiosk at the mall and shit you know this thing's supposed to be 200 but here it is sitting here for 50 yeah i mean the the, imagine what happened last year with the nes classic you know or Mm -hmm. the whatever you know when they couldn't no one could find that Mm -hmm. but yet there's this kiosk in the mall selling super karate champ 56 you know what yeah. they're all these amazing nes games that looks just like an nes classic uh, that i think that's just one of those things that it's very easy to fall for if you don't know what you're looking for because there's a mm-hmm. lot of people that just want to play these old games they don't care how authentic they are yeah. you know they they walk up to this mall kiosk and they see the screen it may be fucking Sonic on Mario World 1, 2 or something, but it's close enough for them to be like, that's the game I want to play. Yeah. And and, I, I, and, and and you look at them and you wonder, how? How could these <laughs> things? But, I mean, it's been around. for Obviously, there's money to be had. Because, I mean, the companies are still still churning them out. Yeah, it's just one of those things. I, I Personally, I have never owned one myself. Back in the day... I don't know if you could call them bootlegs, but I play. I, I had a few um, sort of Tiger Electronic games that weren't from Tiger Electronics. Uh, they were very, very just shady and cheap. Something you'd get at like a Kmart for like five bucks or something. And mm-hmm. you know that's what I could afford. It wasn't the super nice stuff. I wasn't getting Carnov on you know Tiger Electronics. <laughs> <laughs> wasn't getting MC Hammer or anything like that. Oh, you know. Man. It was something, you know, just like Karate Pro 50 or something. It was super yeah. stupid. But it, it was just one of those things that it was good enough. And I think that's a lot of the things like when you see that stuff in the mall kiosk and stuff. It, it's good enough for most people. You can play Mario. You can play Contra. You can play, hell, you can play Sonic on your Nintendo. It doesn't fucking matter for them. Uh, it, it's just a fun thing for them. Uh, I, I I, I think it's fun that those things are still being sold myself, regardless of how legal it is. But it, it you know, it, it's fun to see them out there. Oh, holy fuck! I forgot. Shit, <laughs> I have almost fallen victim to this before uh, with my uncle, and my my uncle had had won a settlement with his work, and we knew this is the same one that had the fucking. Uh, fucking super black bass showdown with the blockbuster <laughs> video won a settlement with his work got several you know tens of thousands of dollars and we knew he had it we knew it was coming in my cousin and i and and we kept uh we didn't know any better we kept trying to push the the virtual boy on him um i mean this is before we knew what we knew about it why would uh, you do that to him? <laughs> we kept trying to push no for us you know, we kept. He just loved headaches. One and, and we know he's not good with his money. We we know he's gonna blow that shit anyway. So why not blow it on a damn couple virtual boys? He comes, <laughs> he comes into the into the house one weekend when we're staying over, 
and he's got two boxes for us. And we open it up. It's the fucking R zone. Oh, wow. (laughs) (laughs) Is that where this began? Is that where the whole R zone thing started with you? (laughs) It was the fucking R zone. That is how I got, I think I've spoke of the R zone a couple of times. I never spoke of how, of the origins of it. This is like a fucking horror (laughs) film where you've seen it play out. Now we have to go back to the beginning. And yes, that is the R zone was presented to both. We both had our own and we had the damn shitty ass fighting game that came with it. And, and all I remember was I couldn't get it to work. <laughs> I had to close one eye the entire time. <laughs> and it was, uh, it's awkward. I'm glad he gave it to us and, and, and wasn't around to watch us actually play it. Uh, cause I, I don't think I could have hid the, the disappointment, <laughs> disappointment. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, I mean, uh, clearly not a bootleg. I mean, it's obvious they were trying to capitalize on what was, they were assuming was going to be the popularity of the virtual boy. But yeah, getting saddled with that R zone was, a uh, was a, was a tough hit. And I guess maybe is the closest I've come to, to receive. It was definitely a lesser form of what it was trying to imitate, which, is pretty bad. <laughs> yeah, I was going to say, is that worse than an actual Virtual Boy? I mean, I owned one, <laughs> and the answer is probably not, to be honest. <laughs> well, you didn't go blind, so... No, because I only played it for like five damn minutes and then never picked it up again. Well, I don't know if we can top a story of horror like using the R-Zone, but we're going to try for our next episode. We're going to go back to the NES and back to two classic horror franchises. As we combine for a Freddy vs. Jason episode where we cover Friday the 13th and the Nightmare on Elm Street game, both for the NES. I am ready for this shit. I am not ready. I I tell you, both of these games, I say it now, I say this having not played them for a long time, but fucking I loved both of these games when I was a kid. Um and we'll see. And I, I've, you know, I've got a lot of memories of this game. And even I will, I will detail you what it's like playing Nightmare on Elm Street on that fucking four-player uh, adapter for the NES. We got four kids together one time to play it, and and I'll let you know. I'll let you know how that went. Well, three of them were never heard from again. But thankfully, Billy <laughs> lived to tell the tale, and we'll hear it on our yes. next episode when we cover both Friday the Thirteenth and Nightmare on Elm Street for the Nintendo Entertainment System. But until then, please look us up on Retrovania.net. There are links to our YouTube, our Instagram, our Twitter account, or you can just go to those places and look up Retrovania.net and find us. And we will see you next time. Thank you.